Today we are looking back at Westcon through the eyes of a longtime and beloved employee, Helen Masterson Bouchard. This is WCSU 411, the podcast about all the behind the scenes information you need to know about Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and now we'll get right into our talk with Helen. Uh, this week we have a special guest, Helen Bouchard, who's my colleague and friend who I've worked with my whole time here, and Helen has been here a few years longer than that, and now claims she's retiring from WestCon. And so we decided to have her on for a retrospective of all that WestCon is and was. Are you willing to do that? I'm willing to do that. Of course I am. Excellent. <laughs> so... Um, when did you start here, Helen? I actually started in, uh, I was a UA in the fall of 92, and I was in the Office of Communications. And then the Director of Communications retired at the end of December, and I was appointed Interim Director in uh, January of 93. Mm. And uh, that job entailed press release, well, what you do, Paul, press releases, mm -hmm. calendars, um, did room reservations, which I still do now. Thank and, God I don't do that. And um, and it was a pain in the neck because it was a sheet of paper that a student <laughs> had to carry around to all these different offices to get clearance for those room reservations. We didn't have as many rooms to reserve, actually. Sounds campus. like it was before electricity, too. Well, you know, we had those computers that were the VAC system, and they were the orange screens with the little cursor on the bottom of them. Wow. And they were about, you know... 10 inches square or something mm -hmm. like that. They were pretty silly little things. Um, but anyway, um, they worked, and we had um, email be within the university. I called that intranet or something hmm. like that. I can't, don't ask me. Wow. I just knew that I typed and I could send an email to somebody. And then after um, a year and a half, um, they did a search, and they decided that they needed um, someone who was going to be the coordinator of alumni and university events. And uh, initially, I still did press releases and things like that, but I also handled alumni relations. Hmm. And um, I did that for about six years and then decided that there really should be a director of alumni and there should be a director of publications mm -hmm. and uh, public relations. And so I just got sort of um, severed off into be the coordinator of university events. And so I was in charge of all commencement honors and academic and administrative meetings on mm -hmm. campus. And we had, uh, fortunately, Paul Simon, who is, uh, I think he's the director of campus and student centers, he came on board and introduced us to an electronic reservation system, mm. which just opened up, you know, the floodgates, just made everything so much easier as far as reserving rooms. We mm -hmm. no longer had to have a student walk from the police department to the maintenance department to <laughs> different offices in order to sign off for an event on campus. And commencement, um, the first year I did commencement, which was in 94, um, no, I'm sorry, it was 93, we moved to the West Side campus. We, we built yeah. the... Mm -hmm. um, playing fields had astroturf on them and we couldn't use them for our commencement ceremony on the midtown campus so we moved to the west side campus so my very first commencement was a big move mm -hmm. and, and that's I, when the playing fields were on the midtown campus uh there was a football they... field on the midtown campus that had the astroturf or the yeah. artificial turf on it well, we used to have commencement 
yes. before it was AstroTurf. Right. And then we moved to the West Side campus and used the um, recreation fields on the West Side campus. And I just remember the vice president of finance, when we were on the Midtown campus, because there was the football field, there were bleachers. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have to rent chairs or staging or anything like that. And mm -hmm. so amazingly, the budget used to be like, I don't know, $5,000 for commencement when I'm yeah. For when it first moved to the West Side campus, all of a sudden it was $12,000 and everybody was screaming because I had overspent the budget and all this other stuff. And I had to prove why it costs so much more to go to the West Side campus. Well, commencement's an expensive mm -hmm. And they scream there. every year no matter what. Well. Whether you make the budget or not. Yeah. And, and you always do. But. Well, yeah. And um, when we moved to um, the Webster Arena Five years, five years ago, I think. I don't know. Maybe Ooh. so. Hmm. Um, it turned out that that was a lot more cost efficient than having it here on our West Side campus, mm -hmm. as well as the fact that we didn't have to worry about rain or snow or anything too hot, too cold, too breezy, too this, too that. Uh, you're inside, and so it's climate controlled. And uh, it's a much better venue, mm. and uh, people are happier although they complain about driving to Bridgeport. But when you were on the West Side campus, sometimes it'd take you two hours to get out of that West Side campus. Mm -hmm. So it was just, <laughs> you know, what's the deal? You're, you're driving to Bridgeport for an hour or you're stuck on University Boulevard for two. Right. Plus you get sun blindness and you're sitting. We did uh, finally put it on the football field on the West Side campus, and it could be either blinding sun or freezing cold or whatever. Yeah, we, we've had everything. You know, we've had... Uh, we had a storm blow through on the Friday night before commencement once, and 50% of the chairs all blew over, and mm. the whole field had to be reset on Saturday. That was my first commencement. Oh, was it? Mm -hmm. That so, was fun. Yeah. So, you know, it's been um, it's been really, really interesting. I was thinking about it. Um, my first year, Irene Sherlock, who used to be here at the university writing in um, university relations in publications in design, mm -hmm. She interviewed me about what I had done before I came to Westcon. Wow. And um, before I came to Westcon, I had worked at the Ives Concert Park, and I was their stage manager and then their general manager, and I worked there for five years. And she said, what's the most unusual thing you had to do? And I said, well, we were bringing in Kenny Loggins for a concert, and we had to cut down trees in order to get his trailer truck down the roadway to the Ives Concert Park so that... He could unload all of his equipment and things like that. And I said, I don't think I'll be cutting down any trees here at the university. You've had some unusual things out here. Yeah. Um, let me think. <laughs> um, probably the, the thing I'm most um, proud of here at the university is when the Dalai Lama came. Mm -hmm. And working on that um, it just wasn't me. There was a committee that worked on that. But that was probably the highlight of my career as far as um, managing an event and bringing people in and making sure that everyone had a good seat and all the rest of it. We did that in the O'Neill Center. And we also had a student who created a ticketing system so that we could do it in the lottery mm. because we found that people would go online 
and they would buy blocks of tickets off of a ticket website, and then they'd resell them on another website for an exorbitant amount of money, and Mm -hmm. we didn't want to do that. We wanted it so that when you bought a ticket from us and it was $50, it was $50. You weren't buying a $25 ticket that had been marked up. Um, So there was a lot of work that went into that, and we worked with the people at – DNKL, which is Donong Kong Fung Ling. I didn't say that right. But They're a, a Buddhist yeah. center yeah. in uh, Reading, and they were very instrumental. They were very good to work with, and they were very instrumental in helping us get the Dalai Lama um, because their Renproche, who is sort of like their abbot, he was in school with the Dalai Lama in mm. the monasteries back in Tibet. And so he's known the Dalai Lama all his all his life from the time they were about five years old. And so he was very helpful because he made the phone call and said, come to see us. We're going to be at Westcon. And he was here for two days. And mm-hmm. it was it was a wonderful event. It was a lot of lot, a lot of work. There was no doubt two about years, it. It took you two years to prepare for that. Right. Right. And um, he doesn't travel as much anymore. Mm-mm. He pretty much stays in India, and he does do a few visits, but not as he used to do. He used to be all like every month he was somewhere else. It was like tracking Santa. He followed the Dalai Lama. It was fun to meet him, though, right? Yeah, and you were very close with him while he was here. Oh yeah, he it just there's a presence about him. There's no kid, you know. There's no fooling around about that. He walks into the room, and you just feel this positive energy and this peace with him and um he's funny mm-hmm. and uh he, he he just smile you see him and you just smile you can't help it mm-hmm. and he hasn't even said anything yet you know um and it was great to work with those people mm-hmm. um from the monastery and from the um tibetan center in reading and i apologize for not saying their name <laughs> but it's dnkl and, That's right. and they're and they're wonderful, wonderful people, and they're still very active, and do a lot of programs, and um, they're wonderful people, and I'm glad that we got to meet them and work with them. Weren't you involved in bringing in a special chair for the Dalai Lama to sit in, also? We did get a chair. John Murphy and I, John Murphy, who is in charge of facility events and conference management here at the university, he and I. Um, ordered a chair from the Ethan Allen, two chairs actually from the Ethan Allen, because no one is supposed to sit in the same chair that the Dalai Lama does. Mm. It's only for him. And then we found out that the Tibetan community was actually building a throne for him. Mm. And so he did use the chair, the Dalai Lama chair, when he was not on stage, but on stage there was a throne that these Tibetan craftspeople had made for him. Um, what was really interesting about them is that he did an audience with the Tibetan community at the Ethan Allen Inn. We were very concerned because we heard there were going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people hmm. coming to see him for this in the Tibetan community. It was quieter. It was mm-hmm. it was as quiet as this studio hmm. when we're not talking. Mm-hmm. The, even the little children they didn't wiggle or make noise or anything like that. They were going to see the Dalai Lama, and they were all very quiet. And the same thing happened in the arena before he came out. Mm-hmm. People sat in silence, and it was just it, – it was surprising. I hadn't anticipated that. And we had 2,500 people there. 3,500. Mm. So we had – Twice. Yeah, so we had 7,000 people here on mm-hmm. campus twice. 
And the second day, it rained like crazy. That was miserable. <laughs> it was, but um, it was well worth it um, to have him be here because mm -hmm. other schools in the area had asked for him. Yale had asked for him. Quinnipiac had asked for him. And I know. He came here. Yeah, that's right. Too bad Yale. Yeah, well, yeah. And uh, no, he didn't go to Brown University. He was at MIT. No, that's not true. He went from MIT to Brown to us. Mm -hmm. um, but there were many schools in between, and he didn't go that's right. to those. Mm -hmm. um, and a funny story uh, from that um, thing is Richard Gere, who lives in the area and is a very close friend of the Dalai Lama, had agreed to introduce him mm -hmm. at our event. Mm. He's a famous movie star. Famous movie star. And... Uh, on the morning, first morning of the event, I'm on the walkie-talkie, and one of our police officers says to me, there's this guy here who says he's introducing the Dalai Lama. <laughs> and I said, okay. And he wants to get back, you know, back behind to park in the back so that he could come in the back door and, and all the rest of that. And so I said to the police officer, does he look like the guy from Pretty Woman? <laughs> and he goes... Yeah, now that you mention it, he does. I said, let him through. Because he, I know we had said in our all of our pre-meetings that Richard Gere was going to do this, but I don't think we did not show a photograph of Richard Beer, Gere to all of the police mm -hmm. officers. Mm -hmm. You know, So this particular police officer was doing his job. He was not going to let some stranger in. But I said that, and... Um, Richard Gere smiled at me when he came backstage and he saw me. He just, he smiled and shook his head. I said, I'm sorry. He goes, that's okay. <laughs> but it was pretty funny. And uh, by the way, that's uh, Chris Cook, our professor here, uh, met the Dalai Lama and uh, made a big deal, fussed over him, and then got engaged in compassion and uh, wrote a book about compassion and started a podcast and now compassion's his thing yes and um creating compassion and that's what the dalai lama wanted us to do was mm -hmm. continue his work as far as compassion and chris has taken that um taken that torch and gone with it and created cities of compassion and done ted talks on compassion and uh, is very very interested in that and uh promoting it and also getting the students who were in the honors program, because Dr. Cook is the um, director of our honors program, those students, he spreads the word through them as well about being compassionate and kind. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's been a great um, continuation of the Dalai Lama's work. So you basically uh, created Chris Cook's career for him. Did I? Mm -hmm. well, I wonder, I'm not getting any kind of remuneration yeah, for was, that. Has he thanked you? Uh, oh, oh yes, yeah. Oh, he did. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's thanked me, and uh, and he, you know it, it's wonderful that he's taken that and mm -hmm. and um, continued with it. Yep, because it's not always easy to do. No, and really, it uh, helped uh, the Dalai Lama's visit live on and yes. had an impact on Westcon. It wasn't yes. just a two-day thing that uh, you know was great, and then. We move on. Yeah, and Chris has also become involved with the center, the Tibetan Center of Peace in Reading, the DNKL, mm -hmm. and um, continues to go there. And um, I don't, I'm not sure if he's meditating with them, but I know that he does go and visit. And mm. uh, it's 
it's been ama amazing when I think back on it. I, you know, you forget about it because mm -hmm. time goes by and you forget that you did that. You know, mm -hmm. so I have to look at the photographs and go, oh yeah, I did that. I did I know, do that. It was a I big didn't deal. meet that guy. <laughs> you were uh, responsible or part of the team that brought Bill Clinton here and Vice President Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Other big deals that you were yeah, involved in. Yeah, and Jane Goodall. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a about a. 22, 23 year relationship with Jane Goodall here mm -hmm. at the university. She's um, come here many times. She was here, I think it was three or four years ago was the last time mm -hmm. she was here doing public lectures. Um, again, another wonderful individual who is an inspiration to students and to people with her work. And um, she likes chocolate, just in case anybody out there is listening. She likes chocolate. Um, and uh, she's also a very gentle, compassionate individual. And the last time she was here, they showed a film, a video of a release of a chimpanzee back into the wild that had been rehabilitated. And Jane was with the crate. They had the chimpanzee mm. in the crate and brought the um, chimp to the – she was an older chimp and by boat brought the chimp to this – area and when they opened the door to the crate the chimp came out and gave Jane Goodall a hug mm -hmm. and you just you just said oh my gosh I can't believe that that connection and she had only really talked to this chimpanzee through the crate and rode with it and you know the the chimp knew that she was there when they were going to be releasing mm -hmm. and and before that chimp you know, toddled off into the wilderness, it hugged Jane Goodall. Mm. And you just kind of thought, wow, that's that's amazing, mm -hmm. amazing to think about that mm -hmm. she's had that effect um, and hopefully can continue that. She's also not touring as much as she used to, but um, her anniversary at Gombe was just a few years ago, 50 years at Gombe. Mm. And um, the work that she's done there and what's changed. She's also gotten very involved with uh, climate change and the changes in the environment because she's seen it at the Gombe Reserve mm -hmm. in Tanzania and the trees that have been cut down because now now the habitat is shrinking for the chimpanzees. Right. Um, so that's another person that I feel um, I was involved with a very good program for her coming here. So mm -hmm. to me that was... That was also very special. Highlight for the students, too, I think, like the Dalai Lama, who, uh, you know, kind of extracurricular thing, but uh, where do you else do you get that experience but uh, at a place like Westcon? Right. And I remember the first time uh, Jane Goodall was coming to the university. I have friends who are alums of the university. And the announcement went out saying that, you know, this was 23, 24 years ago. She said she was going to be coming and going to be doing a lecture. And I had friends who called me who would say, is that the real Jane Goodall? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, well, yeah. Well, what's she doing coming to WestCon? Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of how could she be here? And at that time, her institute was in Ridgefield. Mm -hmm. And that's why we got her so early on was because her staff and everything was just down the road in Ridgefield. And so she came here to the university and we've maintained a connection with her. And one of our former presidents, Dr. Roach, James Roach, um, was on her board for mm -hmm. a long time. And mm -hmm. so there was also that connection as well. They had a they had a real um, friendship that developed through her visits here to the university. 
do you think about the effect you've had on WestCon and on students uh, over your career? Do you think about that as you're nearing uh, alleged retirement? Um, I, I don't really because I don't have that much of a connection with students. I mean, I may know them because when, by the time we get to commencement and a student comes up and says, hi, I'm Judy Smith, and I go, oh, yeah, you're getting a BA and because I've read the lists mm -hmm. for the commencement booklets and the letters and the cards and all their information, by the time they come up, I would say a good 50% of them, I know what their degree is when mm -hmm. they walk up to me because mm -hmm. I've read their name a, a number of times. Um, so I may know them, but they might not know me. I'm just mm -hmm. that crazy lady who tries to get them in line when it comes to commencement day. And why is she yelling at us? And mm -hmm. um, and it it magically all happens. You know, it it really does. I don't know what's going to happen this year, but <laughs> <laughs> it took me a number of years to get it so organized that it's very easy to get the students to line up because I created a, a system and. Um, I know that that's to me that was helpful because I thought if I were a parent, I'd want to know when my student was crossing the stage. So I wanted to have the students in as close to the lineup as they are listed in the booklet as I could so mm -hmm. that mom knew or grandma knew stay seated because they're going to go across the stage in a mm -hmm. few minutes. And the beauty of being down in, at the Webster Arena is they have those huge jumbotron screens, which are like 20 feet, 15, 20 feet tall. And you can't miss your student walking across the stage because there they are right mm -hmm. in front of you and they've got the camera on them and you can see them cross the stage because you're looking up at the big jumbotron. Whereas mm -hmm. before they were, you know, little right. Lego people walking across the stage. That's right. And uh, so for the last four years or so, you've been working actually in the president's office. We all report to the president and you had a lot of... Uh, dealings all the time with the various presidents who worked here. Mm -hmm. But uh, now you've been in the office, the president's office in University Hall. So how is that? How, what kind of change has that been for you? Um, it hasn't. Well, uh, many times throughout my career here, I've moved offices a number of times. And a lot of times I was by myself in an office. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew where I was or, or, or what I did. Um, I find it it's being in the office, I'm more connected to the actual business running of the university. Mm -hmm. um, and I know I'm connected more to the um, to the president's cabinet in that I see them more than I ever did before and able to um, talk about things that maybe need to be done mm. as far as uh, changes or what's coming up. Um, the president likes to know what the events are that are coming up, um, Dr. Clark, more so than the other presidents. Um, he always wants to know what's happening on campus. And um, and because I'm in the office, I can brief him on that and say, just so you know, in two weeks, this is happening, um, as well as student things, because more students act more students come into the president's office. Mm. Um, they're not like there isn't a parade to them every day, but there are issues with the students that I wouldn't necessarily know about. So I'm more tuned into what's going on on the upper levels of the administration than I ever was before. So that's kind of interesting. It is. It is. And it's fun. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 
Janet McKay, who's the president's administrative assistant. I've worked with her for many years for, you know, presidential events, luncheons, parties, uh, the galas that we used to have. Um, we would often work together about planning those things. Um, and so it's been good being in with Janet on a daily basis because we can sit and talk about what's coming up and what Dr. Clark needs to know uh, about events that are coming and um, just general day-to-day -day running of the university. Mm -hmm. And do you want to tell any stories about Dr. Clark that the rest <laughs> of us don't know? Well, Dr. Clark, when uh, I first met Dr. Clark, because one of my many jobs here at the university is to help order the president's academic regalia. Mm. And so that means I have to walk into the president's office with a tape measure in my hand and say, okay, you're a 42 long or 42 regular or whatever it is so that I can measure the shoulders and the arm length and things like that because we're ordering the academic regalia, which is a custom thing for mm -hmm. the president. Mm -hmm. And so um, th my first time meeting him, I went into the office and uh, I was going to do the measurement height and arm length and things like that. And so then I had to measure the circumference of his head for his TAM. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, well, Helen, I have to confess, he said, I have a big, fat Irish head. And I said, well, I know all about big, fat Irish heads because I have one myself. <laughs> um, and my maiden name was Masterson. So I said to him, my maiden name is Masterson. And he got this look on his face and he said, no, it isn't. I said, yeah, it is. And he goes, that's my mother's maiden name. Mm. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. I said, you know, I really don't know that much about the Masterson side of my family because that's my dad's side of the family. I said, all I know is, is my my father's father was a conductor on the Harlem Hudson Railroad in New York and ended up his career working in Grand Central Station as a supervisor and inspector. And Dr. Clark said, my grandfather worked in Grand Central Station <laughs> And I said, what? He goes, yeah. So then he decided we were cousins. Mm. And uh, I, I, as I say, I don't really know that much about my father's side of the family. And they, my grandfather was from Ireland. And if you go to the Irish ancestry and you put in the last name Masterson, mm. it's like Smith. You know, it's just <laughs> like there's thousands of them. Um, and on his records coming into the United States, all it was said was he was from Cork. Mm. Well, everybody who came from Ireland came from Cork because that's the that's the port. Mm -hmm. So it didn't say some little village, you know, Killarney or anything like mm -hmm. that. So anyway, so he was convinced that we were cousins. So from then on, whenever I'd be like the opening of the gates ceremony, and I remember Dr. Betts, who's the vice president of student affairs, he comes up and, and he says, oh, Helen, do you know Dr. Clark? And Dr. Clark goes, of course we do. We're cousins. And I thought, please don't tell people that because <laughs> I don't think we really are cousins. But it was a funny connection with him. And uh, he still, even now, he'll come in and he'll say, okay, cuz. <laughs> and he'll be talking to me about something. And I just find it very funny because I don't think it's true. <laughs> Now, you were born in, here in Danbury, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Don't you still live in the house you grew up in? I do. I um, I bought my parents' home. It's the home my father built back in 1948. Mm. Um, kind of a little romantic story. My mother was from Scotland, mm. and my parents met during World War II at one of those dances they used to have in Great Britain for the soldiers. <clears throat> and when my mother came over, my father 
uh, took her to see around, you know, like historical things. My mother had never, of course, been here. And so they went to the Cape um, one weekend and driving around. And there was this little Cape house that my mother saw it and she just fell in love with it. Hmm. My father took a photograph of it and that's the house he built her. Wow. He had no idea what it looked like inside, mm-hmm. but um, and somewhere in the house, because I live in the house, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a photograph in the house of that house on the Cape that my father took the picture of, and that's the house that he built for her. That is a great story. And um, downstairs in the basement, there's um, in one of the um, footings for the basement, there's a little teeny tiny handprint, and that's my older sister's handprint, <laughs> and the date 1948, because that's when he built the house. Wow. And um, and it's got all the creaks and um, mm. leaky windows and <laughs> unlevel floors <laughs> that one would expect from a house that mm-hmm. was built by a man and his buddies back in the 1940s. <laughs> but they did a pretty good job with it, um, I have to say. But uh, and, and it's it's just, it's an interesting cute little house mm-hmm. it's not anything outrageous and i um i bought it probably about 20 years ago from my mother mm. so it's my house now and didn't you go to ireland when you were in high school or something like that and almost stay there scotland uh-huh. um my my mother being from scotland um the irish my father's irish side of the family was sort of not dismissed but we didn't know any. He didn't know anything about his Irish roots mm. or anything like that. But my mother sure knew about her Scottish roots, and so we were always. My mother, when she would talk about home, she was talking about Scotland. She mm. wasn't talking about the house in Danbury. <laughs> and um, so, I had been. My mother had taken us there when we were little kids. I remember mm. being there when I was seven. Um, I I have visceral memories of certain spots in Edinburgh from mm. when I was seven years old. Mm. And when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to go and spend the summer. And my uncle was very willing, said, sure, come on over, you know, spend the summer with us. And I did, and I almost stayed. Mm. I almost stayed. Um, I've been back many, many times. And, and in fact, I probably know my Scottish cousins better than I know most of my American cousins. Mm. Um, there are American cousins. I couldn't even tell you where they live, but mm. I can tell you where all my Scottish cousins live and uh, could get to their house on the bus from Edinburgh. So, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a great family connection. And indeed, after the Dalai Lama was here, one of my aunts and uncles, they were celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. And the whole week leading up to the Dalai Lama's visit, my cousins were copying me. I don't know why they were doing that, but they were copying me on the emails going back and forth about ordering the cake and where they were going to be and who was going to take mom and dad. And I finally emailed them and said, why Why? Why am I in here? Because none of the others were. None mm-hmm. of the other American cousins were. And... Uh, I just took it as a sign that I was supposed to go to see for my aunt and uncle's 60th wedding Mm. anniversary. And the day after the night that the Dalai Lama left us, he left us in the afternoon, I was on a plane to Edinburgh. (laughs) And I was up for like 36 straight hours or whatever it was. And when I I was at my cousin's house, they um, were putting me up while I was there. And it was going to be a total surprise to my aunt and uncle. They were not going to know that I was there. And I was sitting there and my cousin's young daughter said, Auntie Helen, you have to go to bed. You're falling asleep. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yes, I am. Thank you very much, Lisa. I will go to bed now (laughs) because I had been up for so long. Um, But it was a great, 
it was a great visit, and uh, my aunt and uncle were truly surprised mm. that I had gone, and, uh, and we had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I always have a lot of fun with them. I still talk to them on the phone quite regularly, and they have a Facebook page that I'm included in, so I get to see <laughs> everything that they're doing over there in Scotland, which is kind of fun. And why did you come back after uh, when you were in high school? And I was going to be doing my senior year in high school, and it was going to be problematic for me to try and transfer into the Edinburgh educational system because it's a completely different, it was a different format. Um, And so it was my senior year in in high school and I came back for my senior year. And uh, that's really what prompted me to do it just because, you know, it's your senior year of high school. You've got Mm -hmm. all these things you want to do and parties you got to go to and fun you want to have with all your friends. So (laughs) I came back and, uh, and uh, I don't. I don't regret that. Yeah, I don't regret that. So you're Scottish and Irish. Do you hate the English? No. I have. Uh, what's really funny about my family is one of my Scottish uncles married an English woman, mm. and when the television show Monty Python came on. Mm-hmm. And you know those guys, John Cleese and all of them, they would do those women. They'd dress up as women and they'd be talking in those accents. Well, that was my Aunt Joan. It was not um, – that was not unfamiliar to us. And we would sit and just howl with laughter <laughs> because it was twice as funny to us because we couldn't believe it. They met our Aunt Joan. They were even dressing like her. You know, it was just one of those things. And uh, – and that, and that to us was, uh, as a family, was really funny, and we used mm. to imitate her. And it's not very nice to imitate <laughs> Auntie Joan like that, but it, they were doing it. You right. know, the Monty Python guys were doing it. Graham Chapman, spot on my Aunt Joan. <laughs> um, so that was that was always pretty funny. But no, I don't, um, I don't hate the English at all. <laughs> well, that's good, I guess. Do you... Um, uh, what are you planning to do now after you uh, retire? Well, I, um, I'm a quilter, mm. and uh, I do spend time going to quilt retreats now, and I have enough fabric um, to last several people's lifetimes as far as making quilts. And I really – it's a very creative outlet. It, um, it's very satisfying um, to take the fabric and to cut it and re- reformat it and, uh, and create this – quilt that you can then give to someone, not only just the traditional kind of pieced quilting that we all think of when someone says a quilt, but also art quilts for mm. the walls. And uh, and I, I, like re- I like doing that. And so I'm hoping that I can do more and more of that. Um, I also am teaching in the theater department. Well, no kidding. Yeah. I'm teaching a course called the Introduction to Theater Arts. It's for non-theater majors. Mm. I used to teach in the theater department many, 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 many years ago. I taught costume and makeup and intro to acting. Hmm. And the department has asked me from time to time if I could come back to adjunct. And working full-time here, it makes it problematic because you can't teach during your regular work hours. And, of course, most theater majors don't take night classes because they're all in rehearsal for some production for something. So um, this opportunity came up for non-theater majors. And so I, uh, I said, yes, that'd be great as long as I can do it at night. And uh, I've only had one class. <laughs> but I like teaching. Mm-hmm. I really do. That's great. And you were active in, and have been active in the local theater for a long time. I have been. Um, 
but I haven't done anything in a number of years. Again, it's because, you know, you're working all day and you mm. get home and then the thought of going out and rehearsing and learning lines and all the rest of it. So I may go back to audition for a few things. Um, that would be that would be really good. I've also been on the Danbury Cultural Commission for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And we meet and uh, the city gives us uh, a budget and groups come to us. Uh, every We meet once a month. And groups come to us to ask for funding for particular cultural product projects. So we fund dance and theater and music and uh, sometimes art, not as much art as uh, visual arts as you would think, but we have done it. As a matter of fact, many years ago, there was a young man who came to us who was going to be doing a little documentary film. And uh, he was a graduate of Danbury High School, filmmaker, and we funded him. And it turns out that he's been nominated for several Emmy Awards, and he's also directed many uh, a number of episodes of Game of Thrones. Hmm. His name's Danny Minahan, and uh, he's now quite successful, and we funded him when he was just out of high school. He's a Chris Cook of uh, theater, then. You made his career, too. I don't know we made his career. I mean, he went off to film school and stuff like that. But we certainly helped fund one of his early projects. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was an art student at Danbury High School. And uh, he came to us because he wanted to do this documentary film about, oh, it's in Gaylordsville. No, I'm sorry. It's not Maryall. It's Mm. like the Maryall Hotel or something Mm -hmm. like that up in New Milford. And he was doing a documentary film about it. And uh, so we, you know, we helped him start his career and uh, and encourage him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important to us in the Cultural Commission to make sure that we're encouraging the arts in the Danbury area. Um, so and we do a poetry contest every year with the local high school students. And we're doing a short we've started this year a new one where we're doing a short story contest as well. And we've been doing the poetry contest for over 40 years. Mm. And for many of those students who are submit their poems, it's the first time they're being paid to write anything. Right. And so to, we hope it encourages them to continue writing, whether they get paid or not, mm. that they know that their work is of value. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing, too. Mm-hmm. So you've had a long, a varied, and a meaningful career here, in, not just at Westcom, but in Danbury, too. Yeah, yeah, I have. It's been good. It's been a good thing. <laughs> Sounds like you've enjoyed it. I have. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have stayed here for all that time. That when I first started working, I thought, oh, five years. <laughs> here it is, twenty-five plus years later. So, mm-hmm. um, last year was my twenty-fifth commencement, and I thought that's enough. <laughs> Somebody else needs to learn how to do this. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder who that's going to be. I don't know. Hey, if I may. Yes. Uh, Helen, you mentioned the um, the old football field that is now the science building and the old field at Westside that's now a commuter parking lot. Yes. Is there anything else you can think of from, from days past that would uh, surprise today's students? The quad. When on I, Midtown. Yeah, they're, they're, now that I think about it, the parking garage that's across from Litchfield Hall used to be called The Pit, and it was a pit. Mm-hmm. It was um, this muddy, horrible parking place, and you had to drive. Like, like you go into that garage now, you know, you go down to the mm-hmm. lower level. Well, it just used to be that lower level, and when it rained, 
You couldn't get out of it. <laughs> when it snowed, you couldn't get out of it. It wasn't paved. And the students used to call it the pit. Um, also, so and my first year here was when we got the funding to build that parking garage. Mm. And of course, they had to do all those percolator tests, you know, to the ground. Mm -hmm. And apparently, there used to be some kind of factory that sat on that property a long, long time ago. Factory, yeah. yeah. And so there was mercury in the ground <laughs> and stuff. So they had to do all kinds of this remuneration to get rid of all of that. Um, so that parking lot got built. The parking garage behind Haas Library, that's also new. That used to be called. Um, Lake Haas because it was behind <laughs> Haas Library and it had this dip in it that would um, freeze and mm. so you your car would just go and slide around on it. Uh, we had a huge parking problem here when I first came here to the university. Um, I think we've solved it now because now we have those two nice parking garages. And also between Haas Library and Higgins Hall used to be the faculty parking lot. Hmm. So it was this big, hot asphalt slab, and it is now the quad. And what's been wonderful about the quad is, uh, although faculty did complain that they couldn't park close to their building when they first got rid of that parking, uh, parking lot, What's wonderful is when in the springtime you see the students sitting out there on the quad, they've got a blanket, they're reading, they're throwing the Frisbee around their um, cups of coffee or whatever it is, mm -hmm. and, they're, and, it, and it looks like a campus. Mm -hmm. And that's been a wonderful addition to the Midtown campus. Of course, the West Side campus has grown as well. The when I first got here, the West Side campus only had um, the classroom building on the West Side campus and Grasso Residence Hall. Mm. <clears throat> so in my tenure here, we've had not only the Grasso Hall was there, but we've got the Penny Hall, we've got the student campus center, rather sorry, <clears throat> the O'Neill Center. We never had that facility when I first started working here. Matter of fact, one of the first, now that I'm thinking about it, one of the first big events we had was the ribbon cutting for that. I had to go and find 12-inch wide red ribbon that we could string across the arena floor hmm. area so that we could cut an actual huge ribbon so that it didn't look like this little piece of thread. <laughs> um, and the um, most recent, uh, we've had Centennial Hall, which is a, a new residence hall for our students, and also the Visual and Performing Arts Center, which is just wonderful. Um, the Ives Concert Park was here when I first started working here because I used to work there um, before. Um, and the Visual and Performing Arts Center, what a wonderful new facility that is. Those theaters that are in there, the... Our music students, we are one of the premier theater schools in the state system as well as music um, schools in uh, the state system, um, turning out, churning out music teachers mm -hmm. for the state of Connecticut. And uh, very proud with our Kennedy Center Awards and all the rest of it. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. <laughs> Being in the theater department now, I, would, right. uh, I should really mention that. And what's the story with that oak tree in front of Old Main, too? Oh, the oak tree in front of Old Main. Uh, many years ago, the oak tree that's in front of Old Main by Alumni Circle, originally there was a plan to build an extension to Old Main that was going to be an art gallery. Hmm. And I found out about it. <clears throat> and I went to then-President uh, Dr. Roach 
And I said to him, you can't cut that tree down. I mean, we were within weeks of cutting that tree down. And I said, you can't cut that tree down. He said, why not? And I said, because it's the only tree we know anything about. Many years ago, back in the, when the school first started, back in the 19-teens, 20s, uh, there was a kindergarten class that was held in the basement of Old Main. Uh, we had started as a teacher training school. And so we had uh, schools around us that um, were for teacher training. And we had a kindergarten so that some of our teachers could learn about training, you know, working in kindergarten classes. And Miss Wheeler, in 1916, planted that oak tree with her kindergarten class by Old Main. Hmm. And they were going to cut it down. And I found out about it. So I, I was nicknamed a tree hugger for a while here on campus because I said, you can't cut that tree down. And I got our uh, vice president of finance, Rich Sullivan, to pay for a marble plinth and a plaque to put in front of that tree because I said, if I'm not here someday, people have to know where this tree came from so that they don't cut it down. And uh, and so uh, we did that. And, of course, there were some people who weren't happy because they didn't get their art gallery mm -hmm. on the Midtown campus. Uh, but they got a visual and performing 40 years later or 25 years later, they got their visual and performing arts building on the West Side campus. Um, and also our science building mm -hmm. um, has there, – there used to be where the football field used to be on our Midtown campus where we held commencement before I got here. Um, that football field was then moved to the west side when we got our sports complex on the west side campus. And the science building was built in its place. And the science building is also one of our um, great – additions to the university in that it is a certified green building mm. and um, and it's just got state-of-the-art equipment in it and all the rest of it. And the science professors were so thrilled when they moved in there because they thought, oh, look, real labs. <laughs> you know, it was not that we didn't have them, but they're just beautiful now. And, um, of course, many of our chemistry um, and biochemistry students go on to um, medicine and become doctors. We have a number of doctors who are alumni from the university because they were trained in our bio and chem departments. Um, so it's, it's really... Uh, it's really come a long way since I, I came here, that's for sure. Who was one of the... Go ahead, Pete. Excuse me for just a second. We have an incoming uh, shameless plug alert. Okay. Uh, Helen, isn't there somewhere people can go to learn some of this history? Isn't there a, a, a film made some years ago that you may or may oh, not have narrated? Yes. Yes, one of the things that I did for the university <laughs> with the media services department was we did something called What's on Western, where we did these shows, weekly shows that would then be put out onto the cable. Um, and I would interview guests who came in, um, faculty members and things like that. And then for our centenary in uh, 2003, we did a film, a documentary film on mm -hmm. Westcon, mm -hmm. and I would because I was doing that What's on Westcon show. I was asked if I would ask the questions of the people we were interviewing and also narrate, and so I did that. So I'm, thank you. I'm forever. Um, my voice is forever imprinted on the university because I, I did that film, and um, it was, and that was a lot of fun going out and interviewing alumni and asking them about their days here at mm -hmm. the university and things historical things that um, happened here at the university. We also had a book that was written for the centenary by one of our um, history professors, Herb Janik. And um, 
that's also got much, much more information in it about the university and the history of the university. And um, even now, some people will call me in my office and say, what was it when Fairfield Hall was built and this happened? And and for some reason, I, I know that answer. I don't know. <laughs> or I know where to look up and find the answer to it. And the film is available at media.wcsu.edu for anyone oh, interested. Thank you. Very good. That'd be good to know. I haven't seen it in a long time. And what was it? What's that series called? We Are Westcon? Or? What's on Westcon? Oh, what's on Westcon? It was something that the... Um, your predecessor in the public relations office decided we should do a weekly show, mm. um, and we would interview um, faculty members and also guests like Jane Goodall when she came and authors when they came, and we would sit and interview them. And we had a, a little TV studio. We still have a TV studio. We had a TV studio where we would sit and we would do that. It was the predecessor to this highly successful podcast. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. And and the beauty of the podcast is you could listen in your car. Yes. You can't watch the videos in no. the car. That's right. That's that why we have double the uh, audience that you did. <laughs> Although I know that um, when I was doing those shows, a friend of mine called me once and said, my son is so excited he just saw you on the television. He now, is, <laughs> he now knows the television personality. And I said, hey, don't let him get too excited. It's just me. <laughs> He and three other people have That's seen right. it. <laughs> so you've done an enormous number of things and things that are beneficial to uh, the university and to the students here. And you and I have worked together for 13 years. And, um, of course, I appreciate all those things that you do in the scheduling and all that, making things happen. But uh, what I truly appreciate is being able to work with you and uh, bounce ideas off you and solve problems with you and always know I can go to you and um, uh, have someone who will listen and um, uh, help address whatever issues we got coming up or just have a good uh, laugh with because, um, you know, yeah, we're we do friends do too. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do laugh. And yeah. that, that's a good thing in a, in a working relationship is to be able to laugh with one another, mm-hmm. you know. And, and uh, We don't laugh with everybody, though. No, we don't. Some people are not funny <laughs> or not funny to us anyway. Um, and, you know, I know years, years ago when I was first in the alumni office, I would get these headhunter letters from mm. other school universities looking for alumni directors and things like that. And I had said to Dr. Roach, I know that. I didn't want to leave Westcon because I, I didn't want to go be uh, an alumni director in Iowa. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't of interest to me because I I am a native to Danbury. This is my hometown. This is where I live. This is where I have my roots. And it's not a place that I'm necessarily going to, although we'll see what happens with taxes and stuff like that once you retire and you start looking at all those things. But um, I, I don't plan to go anywhere it's soon. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm only a phone call away in case you need to laugh or bounce <laughs> ideas off of me. Thank you. I'll do that. Yeah. So, you know, um, because I'm certain that I'm not certain. It's a possibility that when we come up to commencement that somebody's going to call and say, what did you do? Why did you do it this way? No, or that how did you do that? that? Yes. Um, and so I, I just know that, you know, I mm-hmm. know that, uh, there aren't. I, I did write down a lot of things. I I did my little 
book that you wanted me to do, my mm -hmm. outline of all the tasks, and I'm sure I left some out. <laughs> well, it's nice that uh, we get to talk to you now. Uh, you've had uh, an enormous impact on WestCon and uh, in ways that people don't always realize, but um, thanks for coming on and talking about it, and thanks for uh, working here with us. Sure. My pleasure. <laughs> I wouldn't have stayed so long. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad you did. Thank you. Before Chantel joins us, I want to remind listeners about our other WestCon podcasts. One of our favorites here is The Compassionate Achiever with Tracy Day and Dr. Chris Cook, who is the original Compassionate Achiever himself. Pete, what did Tracy and Chris talk about this week? Uh, their last episode was about compassion in how we dress and adorn ourselves. And mm -hmm. so they did some stuff about fashion, uh, touching on some some iffy designs that have come out lately. Hmm. Uh, some culturally insensitive yeah. fashion designs, I guess. That's interesting. It was. Sort of sounds like it might be kind of interesting anyway. So tune in. And as our regular listeners know, WCSU 411 comes to you from Western Connecticut State University, which offers a high-quality and affordable education. If you have questions about enrolling at WestCon, send an email to admissions at wcsu.edu. Now, recorded live in the basement of Whitehall, here's co-host Chantel Williams. Hi, Chantel. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. That's good. <laughs> yes. And you have all our events coming up with us, yes, right? Yes, for March. <laughs> That's good. Yep. And the first event that we want to get into is a nice dodgeball tournament, mm -hmm. which is happening March 3rd, uh, Sunday, March 3rd. And the tournament will be taking place um, at 2 p.m. in the Bill Williams Gym in Berkshire Hall, which is on Midtown Campus. That's good. Pete and doesn't it's... really like dodgeball. <laughs> he used to get hurt when he played it in middle school. That sound is still burned into my brain. Oh, that yeah, rubber when the ball's ball hitting, hitting against, you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I so used to always get scared um, yeah. <laughs> hearing the balls uh, hit too, yeah. against the wall. But I, I always loved playing the game. So it was you a, did? Yeah, it was an adrenaline rush. <laughs> I just avoided the whole thing. We yeah, so I was being chased square. by police dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Only Pete has had that happen to him <laughs> while playing dodgeball. <laughs> So if you do like that, right, you can go to the dodgeball Yeah, tournament. and it's hosted by WestCon Rec. So it's open to all students and faculty. Yeah. So I would say you guys can get in into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're considered administrative faculty. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there's a deadline to register, um, which is noon Sunday. So make sure you grab a team and sign up and have yourself a good old time throwing balls at each other and trying to dodge them. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically this? Yeah. That's the basics of the game. Yep. <laughs> So that's Sunday, March 3rd at 2 p.m. Midtown Campus, Berkshire Hall, for those of you that would like to participate in the dodgeball tournament. Um, Monday, March 4th, there will be a med – it's going to be called Meditation Monday. Um, it's going to be in the Wellness Center, which is located in Berkshire Hall, room 119, and it's going to take place um, all day, so there's no time, and it's um, – just a meditation Monday. So come in and uh, meditate. <laughs> I would like that. Actually. Center your mind. I, right. I like to. 
I like to think. And it's a good way to start off a week since it's Monday. You know, you might be stressed out about the week. Mm -hmm. Um, So go in and meditate and, uh, yeah, locate on Midtown uh, Campus in Berkshire Hall. So you probably shouldn't go clomping in, right? No, I don't think think wearing uh, heels and, you know, uh, loud (laughs) making like noises and, you know, coming screaming is probably the best way to to start it off. Yeah. Who's Um, the director there? I'm not sure. What's her name, Pete? Oh, Crystal? Yeah, Crystal. Crystal. She's very nice, but I think she'll whoop you if you, uh, if go, you go in and in, interrupt yeah. the meditation. <laughs> interrupt, yeah. But very serenely. <laughs> yes. A serene whooping. In You'll a very feel good calm afterwards. Way. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so that, um, yeah, that's also good because I recently got into meditation mm. a little bit since I've gotten here. Um, I had a gym class previously, a dance class, and we used to meditate after the dance class. Mm. And it used to be so relaxing. My body would be relaxed. My mind wouldn't be so, you know, stressed out and all over the place. So to really um, just zone in Mm -hmm. and um, just focus on one thing and one thing only, and that's just peacefulness, is very helpful and very uh, a positive way to start the week and, and the new month. And you find out stuff about yourself, too. You do. Positive things. Yeah. And uh, meditating in a group, I think, is um, conducive to the whole process. A lot of people don't think they can meditate because their mind's always going off other right. places. But in a group, it seems to go better, I think. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, everyone's feeling the same way, you know. And even if you're new to it, it's fine. You know, it's open yeah. to everyone. So it's an experience that I think everyone should try um, because it really does give you a nice inner peace and a nice calmness, mm-hmm. especially if you're, you're really stressed out over classes. And I know midterms, you know, midterm week. So it's a great way to start that off, kick that off, you know, relax your mind and body before you enter, you know, a test or an exam. You become one with everyone. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> become one with everyone, yes. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Um, there's going to be a visiting artist lecture. Um, his name is Ross McDonald. And he will be coming to the VPAC building located on West Side. He's going to be there 11.30 a.m. in room 144. And he's just going to be discussing his work, um, his artistry. Um, And so I think that should be very interesting. I don't know much about him, but this is a great event to know more about him and to get to know what kind of um, illustrations he does and his work and uh, maybe the difficulties of being an artist and uh, some of the setbacks he may have faced and had to overcome. So it's a a great thing to learn about new people and um, new experiences. And it's uh, great for visual and performing arts majors who may be interested in going down that road and just to see, Mm -hmm. you know, how it is. Yeah, great yeah. idea. Yes. So that's an interesting lecture. And again, that's taking place on Tuesday, March 5th, um, West Side in the VPAC building. Good. At 11.30 a.m. <laughs> and there's going to be a documentary, a story called A League of Her Own. And this is uh, brought to you by the Claire Smith story. And for those of you that don't know Claire Smith, she recently came to uh, West Con. And she told us about her story and her, her setbacks, her struggles, how she, how she had to overcome them. And uh, it was a very good lecture from what I heard. I was, wasn't able to make it, but from what I heard, it was a great lecture. And uh, I was her there. Story it was, was very, very inspiring. She yes. really did some uh, interesting, courageous work. Mm-hmm. And um, we recorded it, mm-hmm. and it'll be next week's podcast too yes and it goes right it goes perfectly into her story her documentary that's right yeah (laughs) when's that thing the movie Uh, the movie is going to take place tuesday march 5th 
and it's going to be on Midtown Campus, room 127 in Whitehall, and it's going to start at 6 p.m. So if you want to know more about Claire Smith, her story, I would suggest coming to the documentary. Maybe if you weren't able to catch the lecture um, after hearing it on the podcast, come watch the documentary so you can get more information and really uh, visualize, you know. You'll be a Claire Smith expert after I that. Think, I, yeah, I think you would. <laughs> <laughs> you learn a lot. So if you need a paper about inspirational women. Um, right. It is Women's sports, History Month yes. now. So. She was the first woman to cover baseball full time. She covered the Yankees for the um, Hartford Current and then went to the New York Times as a sports columnist. So And has been inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. So she's yes. a legitimate deal. And it's it's amazing hearing her story. And um, when I got to meet her, I got to briefly speak to her and just seems like she was just the most humbled person. And I know, she she was, loves what she does. Right. <laughs> she loves what she did. So yeah. uh, it, it's very nice to hear. And it's very um, nice to see just a woman of color and a woman period in that field, mm-hmm. which is uh, very nice to see. That's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> She's still on ESPN, too. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it was awesome. And um, so, yes, come out. Again, it's Tuesday, March 5th. It's going to take place Whitehall at 6 p.m. in room 127. So a league of her own, the Claire Smith story. Mm. And uh, another mindfulness group, uh, something, you know, meditation group that will be taking place Thursday, March 7th. Um, and it's just a stress management and calming techniques, which I think um, everyone can use, especially during a stressful time for students as midterms, as I had said previously. Um, so you can come out to this event. Um, it's going to be Thursday, March 7th from 1 to 2.15 p.m. in the Student Center, um, 202B. And it's going to be on Midtown, for those of you who don't know where the Student Center um, is. And it's just a, a good way of learning how to... Um, manage your stress and use positive techniques in order to deal with stress. If you get anxiety uh, in certain situations, how to manage that anxiety so that it won't, uh, you know, overcome you. You won't mess up your daily life uh, so much. So helpful techniques on how to deal with that. And again, I feel like this is a particularly special time because we are during midterm you know, season, it gets very stressful for students. I see many students very stressed out, don't really know how to manage that stress um, or are doing techniques that may not be beneficial for them because everyone has stress in different ways and handles things differently. So this is a great way to learn different techniques that are especially uh, fit for yourself and Mm -hmm. best fit for you. So You seem pretty cool. Have you already done this? Um, I I did one class about stress because as social work majors, we have to really focus on self-care before we can work with clients. Mm -hmm. So our program allowed us to do a a professional development day that dealt with stress and stress in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so they had lecturers come in and talk about how do they separate work from life because you know work as a social worker you see and hear a lot of stories from your clients so that was my main concern so that class really helped me to understand okay if you need time you need to take that time and you need to be aware that you need that time Mm. so that you can better fit your for yourself and better assess your client also Mm. so um I, I did a little bit, and I, I try to do uh, classes and things um, now before I get really into the field so that I know how to properly manage my stress um, because I am busy, and it could get I, – I do get stressed out at times, but now I have 
certain ways of uh, knowing to dealing with it. And um, meditation is also one new way that I've learned mm. to do. And just relaxing and taking some time out for myself, like saying no to going out or no to certain things and just taking like a personal personal day or personal time mm-hmm. and just relaxing. So um, that's one thing that I've learned. And I feel like uh, this um, particular lecture and this mindfulness group will help students um, learn that also, mm-hmm. which is very important. Yes. When are midterms? When are your midterms coming up? My midterms are actually fall from this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they all fall be- before spring break, which is right around the corner because we grades have to be in, I believe, by the 25th. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, so all midterms are going to be falling uh, this week. Um, so uh, there's going to be events around campus that are kind of like stress-free events because that students will be able to go to in between classes, you know. Um, I don't really have so much as an exam. I think I have one exam, but I do have papers and things due because mm. we write a lot in social work. Um, but I know my peers, they have a lot of exams, a lot of them back-to-back. So, you know... On top of the studying, you have papers, you have regular life to deal with, you have work. Um, So you're just trying to cram all that in. And so learning how to manage all of that so that also you will do well on your exams and you would do well on other things because the stress can really, you can study and then the stress will just overtake you and then you won't perform as well. So um, that's why I feel like this is important to learn how to manage that because if you don't manage it properly, it could affect you in a negative way. Sure. Yeah, um, throughout many situations. So for me, um, I, I just, again, it's about time management. Like that's one way I handle my stress. My planning process, I plan to, I, I learn to plan ahead so that I know what's coming up and I know what I have to do so that I won't feel pressured to do everything at the last minute. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, how I manage my stress. And now uh, coming into uh, final, I mean, not final exam, midterms, um, that's how I manage that also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Speaking of stress, weren't you going to report back to us about something from last week or the week before? Was it Valentine's Day related or something? I think it was, was it the program? Um, Oh, my resume, was it my resume workshop? Oh, yeah, maybe that was yeah. it. Yeah, because we recently, uh, I recently went to a resume workshop, and I remember mm-hmm. speaking about it on the podcast and um, just saying how beneficial it is for students to get started ahead of time. And there was a lot of information about a resume building that I, I had no idea about. I had no idea there was special paper for resumes because oh. everything <laughs> is sent, that. like, yeah. electronically, so I right. didn't know. You know, I, I didn't know there was special paper in case, you know, and, and to bring multiple copies, about four and five copies, mm-hmm. and um, how to just properly organize your uh, resume. And um, the Career Success Center was very helpful in working with us, answered all of our questions that we had. There was no dumb question. There was no dumb answer. Everybody was, you know, on the same page. And I just got out there learning a lot. And now that I look at my resume, I know how to change it, um, to perfect it and to make it so that when jobs look at me, I stand out from the rest, which is important. So that resume was very uh, helpful. And I know she said that they're going to have another resume uh, workshop coming up very soon. And they're also going to have a workshop about interviewing, how to properly 
prepare yourself for an interview and when you're actually in an interview, how to conduct yourself so that they want you and you stand out from all the rest of the applicants. So You helpful. should probably go to that, but you yes. already know that. I've been interviewing you on <laughs> this podcast. You know how I to know. handle it. It's always great to have more information mm-hmm. you're right. <laughs> to build your knowledge up. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll definitely try to go so I can report back and That's tell good. students. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there a Black History Month dinner too? There was a Black History did Month you go dinner. To that? I did not go to it, but I did um, get a chance to talk to my boss, Gerald, and he hmm. said it was a, a, a great event. And um, actually, to round off Black History Month, uh, Westside Ballroom yesterday, I mean, not the Westside Ballroom, um, Westside Student Center, they had uh, blackened catfish and mm. grits and uh, I believe it was like mashed potatoes. So it was a Black History Month meal to just to round off the month. That's cool. And um, yes, so it was, uh, it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> and I know on the Midtown Student Center, um, their calf, they had uh, chicken and waffles for a week mm. for Black History Month. So yes. It's That's a great a, way to uh, end it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's funny because the first time when I had chicken and waffles, I really didn't see the point of having those two combined. Because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I felt like I ate it separately. Like I ate my chicken and I ate my waffles. And right. I was just like, you know, it's good. It was really good. But I just don't see the point of having them together. Yeah. So, um, but it was very delicious. And it, it, of course, it's like a one signature dish for Black History Month. So it's very good. Do you put, I've never had it. Do you put um, maple syrup on it? Yes. Well, so like you're supposed to put the maple syrup on the chicken and the waffle and then eat it together. But I just... I, I didn't want maple syrup on my chicken, so I was like, all right, well, let me just put it on my waffle. So I, it was chicken and waffles, I guess, but I literally just had a side of chicken and, and waffles. So, yeah. so um, but it was very good. You cheated then. I, words, I so. know, I cheated. <laughs> but there are some pe- places that um, bake the chicken into the waffle. And, um, that's oh, really? Yeah. And that could be good. That, yeah, that does sound appetizing. I feel like it makes better sense <laughs> to yeah. have it like that. Mm-hmm. But yes, it was very good. And um, I want to thank the student centers for really uh, doing that for us and giving the students a little uh, bit of different taste for Black History Month. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yes. So there's another event, um, March uh, 8th. That's a Friday. Um, it's called the Best Darn Jazz Club in Danbury. <laughs> and it's the WCSU will present the Best Darn Jazz Club in Danbury at 8 p.m. in the Colonial Corner in Midtown Student Center. Again, that's March 8th, 8 p.m., Colonial Corner in Midtown Student Center. And for those of you who don't know where Colonial Corner is, it's a a.k.a. the spot, because there used to be uh, parties and things down there, and it's also where the coffee house takes place, so it's right underneath the uh, Midtown Student Center calf, mm-hmm. so that little spot right there. They have good performers there, yes. too. Yes. The name's a little funky, but the uh, performers they have, professionals and students, yes. are good. Yeah, and I've been to a coffee house there, and the performers were based, were just uh, regular WCSU students. Mm. It was phenomenal. Mm. Um, it was really good. A lot of different um, acts also. It wasn't just singing. It was poetry, hmm. and um, it, it was very, it was very good. I liked it. You so like the poetry too. I do. I like the poetry. I think it was uh, a very. Um, it was calm and relaxing, but then also told a story, which was what I like. And poetry is just like it flows just so naturally. So I just love hearing poetry live, and so that's a good way. So if you 
would like to hear that and are interested in that, then go to the Best Darn Jazz Club and also go to the coffee houses that are hosts regularly in the Colonial Corner also. You're a very well-rounded student. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I try to be involved and just go to different events as much as possible. Um, just to expand my horizon and just to see my interests. I have many different interests that I've discovered since I've been on campus. So you just never know. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I've just been to different events that I felt like, I wouldn't, would like, I won't like this. But then when I actually go, I actually do end up liking and enjoying myself. So I just think that's a part of the college experience. That's just a part of life. You know, you have to branch out and try new things to see if you like it, to see if you don't. And um, just to see, you know, how things, right. and you gain a lot of knowledge from it. So <laughs> I love that. That's the part about, great part about college and also yes. about, you know, after you get out of college. Right, too. yeah. Keep doing that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Um, let's see. Another club. Um, well, event. Oh, yes. March 22nd, a big event. Um, the African American, uh, African Caribbean Culture Club will be hosting their annual fashion show. Mm. Um, it will be, uh, designers, lo- some local designers and some big time designers, um, in showcase here at WCSU. It's going to take place in the Midtown, uh, campus, Ives Concert Hall. And I believe doors open at seven. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that'd be cool, too, right? Are they student models? There are student models, yes. So students, they're actually um, currently holding auditions. Oh, really? So if you would like to audition to be in the fashion show, which is open to everyone. (laughs) I I did it my first time last year. Yes. I was nervous at first, but I was happy because I couldn't see anybody in the audience because it was really (laughs) dark. So I was like, okay. So I was just focusing on my walking and making sure I don't stumble. But it was really... the audience just gave you a boost of energy because they were just cheering you on and you can feel the love in the room and it was just nice seeing all the different designers that came out and um, we were representing their clothes and just to see um, their excitement in their faces after getting the response from the crowd and there's really wonderful designers really wonderful patterns bright colors it was really fun and they yeah. do it for men or men models, male yes, models too. Definitely men models and women. So it's open to all WCSU students. You do not have to live on campus. You could be a commuter. You can as long as you you actually don't have to um, be a full time student. You can be a part time student as long as you go here. You can audition and um, be in the fashion show. And uh, yeah, it's a fun experience. So if you think that you may be staged, you know shy or you know not sure like oh I don't know if I have a good walk I would say to grab a friend if you feel like you're better doing with a friend because you can audition with a friend and you will walk on the stage with you know a person next to you um, and just try it because you just never know Mm -hmm. and yeah so that's what I I literally you know did I kind of got dragged into it my (laughs) yeah my name just got uh Thrown on the paper. I didn't sign my own name. My friend signed my name. She's like, go for it. So I, I went for it. And, you know, I ended up liking it. So. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you just experiences like that come mm-hmm. up. So just give it a shot. And, you know, it may not be for you, but it, it may. So, um, But if not, if you don't want to be a model, just come out to the show uh, March 22nd at Ives Concert Hall and uh, have a yeah. good time. Yeah. Just have fun. Yes. Right. <laughs> and watch some nice uh, design and clothes. And mm-hmm. you can also um, talk to President Joanna Augustine. She's the president of the club. And um, if you like any of the clothes that are broadcast um, in the fashion show, you can contact her. And she has the, all the contact information from the designers. So you can speak to them themselves and see, okay, how can I get these clothes mm-hmm. and, you know, this outfit. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yes. <laughs> and um, West Fest Week is... Fastly approaching. It's not until April, but it's coming up uh, 
very fast. Yeah, this is March. So <laughs> right, it's March already. Yeah. So we, you know, and I want to talk about the events because it's going to be, it's for two weeks uh, this year, which is very exciting. So there's going to be constant events going on um, during the day and at nighttime. So uh, for commuter students, if you feel like you can't make the night events, there's going to be day events for you guys so that everyone is included. And so to kick off West Fest Week, um, the Black Student Union will be hosting their annual fashion show. And um, there's just gonna, it's, it's all around the world this year. Mm. So it's going to be closed from many different places, from France, from Tokyo, um, American clothing, just a, a very culturally, like, different clothing. And um, I'm a part of the planning process because I am mm. on the e-board. Mm-hmm. And it's just exciting to see all the different designs and the styles. And it's very exciting to to see it. So I'm very excited about this one. Do you reach out to designers and ask if they want to join do. and participate? Yeah. And sometimes, a lot of the times, designers reach out to us and be <laughs> like, hey, can I have my clothes showcased in your fashion show? I heard that you're doing one. And um, we, we say, yeah. And then we see stuff offline. And we also try to uh, get clothes from... Uh, the mall because we know a lot of students shop at the mall and we try to get them from common stores that students can actually go and grab themselves and be like hey I didn't know you know Mm -hmm. I didn't know I can match this up with this and it's very affordable so that's what we're trying to do especially this year like hey you can get all of these designs at a local store right there near you so you don't have to you know go online or you don't have to you know uh, go all over the place just to find these designs like what it's a great right idea there. yeah hmm. so that's what we're trying to do um so it's that's the kickoff of west fest week and mm. um there's going to be many more events coming up um through the podcast like i will be talking about the events um i know this year the trip is going to be to coney island yeah. which i never been Me and I, I heard it's really fun though a very uh historical uh, amusement park <laughs> in New York. So um, I'm excited about that, and I believe that's taking place um, May 4th. Hmm. So, yeah, um, those are just two of the main events. And, of course, we have our annual carnival that's going to be taking place. The date for that is not up yet. But, um, it, yeah, so get excited about West Fest Week because as soon as March is done, we got that. Right. So It's all happening. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Oh, that's great. <laughs> all right, Chantel, thanks. We'll see you next week, too. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, as always, to our producer, Scott Fulpe, and engineer, Pete Puccio, who makes sure these podcasts are available to our many listeners. Remember, WCSU 411 is absolutely free, so there's no reason not to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. We're waiting there for you on every platform. We want you to leave a comment and share with your friends and relatives or comment on Twitter at WCSU411. For Chantel Williams, I'm Paul Steinmetz, and this is WCSU411.